Is there such a thing as a traveler? Not a Delta, because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members, because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Welcome to Unspooled Top Three and Actually Six. Actually Six. <laughs> All right. Today on Top Three, we are having uh, two of the hosts of Chapo Trap House, which uh, you might know as a kind of left wing political podcast. They are not afraid to speak their minds. Uh, they can get into very contentious kind of uh, political discourses. They they you know have been behind uh, books like Chapo's Guide to Revolution, uh, which came out a couple of years ago, and it debuted number six in the New York Times bestseller list. And both of them now are doing some special uh, spinoff shows on their Patreon. And these shows are really, really fun. Um, Hell on Earth is a show about the 30 years war. And that is hosted by Matt Chrisman and Chris Raid. And Matt will be on the show today. I really like this because I didn't know that much about the 30 years war. And he goes very deep into, and we'll talk to him a little bit about it, but like, it's a history podcast. It really is a history podcast, but it also looks at the 30 years war through the lens of now and how there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. And he's put together for us a sort of viewing list, if you will, movies to watch if you want to get a feel for the tone of the 30 years war, which, as he's going to say in a second, is hard because we haven't made a lot of movies about the 30 years war. Yeah. And so it's a, a companion piece. So if you've been listening to Hell on Earth, which is on the Chapo Trap House Patreon, now this is a way that you can kind of uh, kind of go in and out, see how it's been fictionalized, see what has been different. Um, and then also, Will Meneker is hosting a new show coming out in May with Hessa Denny from Seeking Derangements. Uh, basically, it's a movie podcast, and we're going to let him explain how it's a little bit different than your average movie podcast. But again, that's also going to be available on their Patreon. So 
Amy, without any further ado, shall we meet the guys? Hello, guys. Let's first talk to you, Matt, about your podcast. Tell us a little bit more about Hell on Earth. Yeah, that's me and uh, our producer, Chris Wade, uh, going through the, the the 17th century crisis in Europe, uh, with the center point being the Thirty Years' War in Germany, which is uh, this huge catastrophe, calamity that is largely unknown, you know, in popular culture. So we're using that as a springboard to talk about a bunch of crazy stuff, including like, the Reformation and, and the military revolution and all this stuff that happens at that period. Yeah, looking at the movies that you've selected, it feels like you're taking a time period that people might not be familiar with. But when you actually get into what is happening in this time period, it's going to sound like something we're very familiar with, something like we're kind of living through right now. Oh, yeah, that's a big part of it. Yeah, looking at it, like this idea that, you know, parts that played into this war were, you know, things like climate change, financial collapse. You have like these conspiracy theories driving policy. So all that kind of stuff feels so new uh, to us. But I also feel like it's interesting to see it being just a driving part of, of history. Right. I mean, it's essentially what happens when one social order uh, collapses under its own contradictions in one crisis, and that's the feudal order of Europe. Uh, and then this new system arises out of that, uh, that we're now kind of at the terminal end of, and we're experiencing that same cycle re-emerging. As, because the, the, the thing we try to highlight is that no one who is actually in charge of anything uh, in a crisis like this is able to really address anything that's happening because uh, they uh, to do so to actually do anything to stabilize the system <clears throat> would undermine their own power within it which they have no interest in doing so instead they just every act they take to try to save themselves ends up just furthering the crisis so are you saying the only way out is through yes basically but i will say that as you described this i'm I know it's also going to be funny and not just incredibly, uh, you know, it's it, it's not going to be heavy, heavy in a way. I feel like it's going to still feel like a, a Chapo show, right? I mean, it's going to have like. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of like we do bands, you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, wild and funny characters in it. Martin Luther is the first guy we sort of focus on, and he is an absolute maniac and a very, again, recognizable character. He is uh, really the first modern poster. Like he is a guy who who made his made history by just really posting really really hard and and writing and and having people read it, and he had a poster's temperament. He was incredibly vitriolic and insulting to everyone who disagreed with him, and he was obsessed with shit and scatology. <laughs> and he would t talk about how like the 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 Pope should smell his shit and stuff like that all the time. So yeah, there's plenty of jokes, uh, absurdities as well. When you see repeated patterns like that, do you find it comforting that human beings kind of come from just a few of a sub of several templates? I, 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 yeah, I mean, we are always, especially now, like fixated on an idea of of an apocalyptic end to humanity. You know, that, that, like a final judgment, and so were the people at this period. Like they were all convinced that they were at the end of days, and when you look at what happened. <laughs> Like they felt vindicated by that, but you know, people continued on and created new uh, ways of being that that were have been totally unthinkable to the people uh, beforehand, and and that really is the defining uh, uh, 
cycle of human existence. And we're all like part of it. You know, we're not at the end of anything ever, you know, we're, we're always just uh, stuck within a cycle. And that's something that a lot of people don't like, but I think it's comforting compared to the uh, apocalyptic fixation, I think, that can uh, that is otherwise sort of tempting to take, where you think like this is the end of all humanity, this is the end of 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 life, but it it very basically never is. Yeah, I have to say the only thing that gives me comfort some days when I start going down that apocalyptic rabbit hole is I think your grandma had it worse when she was a little kid in the nineteen right. thirties. Yeah. So yeah. they definitely had an excuse to think the world was ending then. It's not it's not all so bleak, Amy, because from uh, from listening to Hell on Earth myself, I've learned that like though the past may seem like it's dead and gone, that's not true. Pa- patriotic Rosicrucians are still in control of our society and government. <laughs> and they are they are secretly the secret hand directing all of hum- all human events and progress. So just tr- put your trust the plan, trust <laughs> the Rosicrucians. Well, you know, and I want to bring up uh, Will. We're going to talk about your podcast that's coming out in May in a little bit. Uh, but you also have uh, a new podcast coming out, uh, which is going to be Movie Mindset. So what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of see your top three, maybe through the eyes of both of your podcasts. So obviously, we know a little bit about Hell on Earth uh, through what, what we just heard uh, with Matt. But for Will, just give us a little idea of what movie mindset will be just so we understand how your picks might figure into uh your podcast well first of all um uh with the the great success of hell on earth i was like okay i can't let matt and chris get all the accolades for doing a spinoff series how what can i do here where can i bring my expertise but how can i do that without reading every book ever written about 100 percent in the 30 years war I, you know, I just like watching movies, reading books, boring. Yeah, come on. I uh, know, but uh, people, people have been clamoring, you know, people find people have been clamoring for decades or as long as podcasts have existed, people have wanted someone to talk about movies on them. And I'm pleased to say uh, myself and uh, bring, in, uh, bring in some new blood, Nuke, my co-host, Hesse Denny from Seeking Derangements. We'll be for the first time ever discussing movies in a podcast form. I mean, this is pretty interesting because, you know, I after ours, I didn't know that anyone would want to even do this. So now I guess we are in the, <laughs> in the rare air of uh, two movie podcasts. Uh, but I do, I would love to hear you all talk about movies. Cause I really do believe the key of any of movie podcasts, really any podcast, people are tuning in for the personalities. You can be talking about whatever movie you want, but it really is your perspective on it. It's not the end all be all. Like you can hear three different podcasts about Raiders of the Lost Ark and get three very different things from it. And I think that's one of the cool things about podcasting in general, but also movie podcasting. I mean, yeah, that, that is a very cool thing about movie podcasts, but I would, I would slightly disagree with you, Paul, because this podcast will be the be-all, end-all of all okay, the opinions. And, and there we go. And, you know, uh, I, I this broke no the disagreement. La- this, is, this, is, this is like uh, from on high, this is the correct, the correct movie podcast with the correct okay. opinions and perspectives on film. Uh, you know what? And, uh, and, and as of our, per our agreement, we will uh, be ending our show after this interview. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we'll leave it up for the 30-day window. But I mean, and why, and why, and why even bother to have have too. Um, but I do think that your podcast, Will, is the only one that says that talking about movies will initiate you into the mysteries and power of um, movies as a powerful brain enhancing nootropic. Yeah. I mean, that's a medical claim. Tell me about that. 
Well, I mean, uh, you'll, you'll find yourself, uh, you'll be gaining muscle mass. Your testosterone will skyrocket. You, you will find, you'll be thinking clearer and sharper, and you'll find more success in business, uh, romance, relationships, what have you. Movies can fix all your problems if you merely watch them correctly. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm partly joking, but like, look, I, I love watching movies. I love talking about movies. Movies are like sports to me. You know, like I'm, I'm following who's up, who's down, you know. I, I like arguing about movies. I just like watching movies. But I mean, the germ of the idea that I'm kind of joking about, but one that I think is like a half serious idea is that movies are more real than reality. Like the, like the illusion of cinema and the experience of watching movies represents like such a, a convincing and narcotic simulation of reality that I think that they like, they order our memories and thoughts in a way that is like, uh, that is like approaching reality or rather predicts reality before it happens. So I think like through movie mindset, you can pierce the veil of consciousness and reality and, and discover uh, the, the, the truth behind this, this, this veil of tears that we all exist in. I mean, look, Jules Verne kind of saw the future through his novels, and I think that Michael Bay is probably doing the same thing with <laughs> ambulances and uh, explosions. You know, we didn't know it was possible to blow up a boat that big. You well, know? I mean, I, I know, as Matt has discussed before, I mean, the first three Transformers films are, in addition to Southland Tales, basically the only way Americans dealt with the war in Iraq through film. And you know what? And it was a lot easier to follow. Uh, and I feel Absolutely. like that's and that's what people needed. So let's jump into it. Each of you have brought three movies that are important to you. And and for Matt, like we did say, like maybe these are uh, movies that will help us in Hell on Earth, but they could also be off of that too. And then we'll, as we've talked about, you know, we'll see if the any of these movies that you brought uh, are going to be you know stimulating our brain and testosterone. We'll we'll check it out. So who wants to go first with their first pick? Uh, uh, I'll I'll go first. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I brought three films that all relate in one way or another to the general subject of Hell on Earth. Uh, only one of them is actually about the Thirty Years' War because it is basically the only English language movie ever made about the Thirty Years' War, talking about how this is something that we just don't really have a cultural memory of in the, in the U.S. anyway. Uh, but the first one is uh, 1985's Flesh and Blood, Paul Verhoeven's uh, yes. English language debut. And this is a movie that I have a deep relationship with because it's one of several movies that I saw way too young at my grandparents' house because they would let me stay over and they had HBO and I would like watch it till three in the morning. So I was like seven or eight years old and I'm watching this movie where like Rutger Hauer is is raping people and they're, people are dying of bubonic plague. Uh, and it stuck with me. Uh, and for years, I didn't even know what it was. I just remember this horrifying scene of those people sitting around a table uh, uh, in a castle and this kid dumping over the water jug and a chunk of a dead dog falls out of it oh. because it's they they the uh, they were under the the castle's under siege and somebody hucked a plague ridden dog over the battlements and it got into their uh, <laughs> into their drinking water. Uh, and then it was until I was an adult that I was like, oh, my God, this is the movie. And it's a fucking Verhoeven movie. 
I'm always surprised at the lack of supervision that I had uh, with (laughs) HBO when I was a kid. Like my parents are having Thanksgiving dinner and I'm watching Risky Business in the living room. And if they're not walking in, I'm able to get a lot of Risky Business. I didn't even know it was bad. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she's naked. They're on a subway train. But we we did a whole series on uh, Verhoeven. We talked about uh, RoboCop and Starship Troopers. And he's a very interesting director. And I think what you just described, that image, like the imagery and the violence and the way he kind of mixes, uh, I think, like commenting on the world as it were, like it, it comes through in all of his work. And do you feel like it it does here or is it more or is it more schlocky? Like, you know, what do you think? Well, it's very interesting because it has a lot of uh, story beats uh, and even uh, a lot of sort of visual and audio elements that hearken to like a classic romantic adventure like the, the right. I, there's there's literally swinging from uh chandeliers and there's big rousing orchestral stings but the actual content is just brutally bleakly cynical and depressing <laughs> so uh he's definitely keeping it real in this movie i think verhoven works so good for a movie about the middle ages and like this movie really makes me sick to my stomach that um the uh the big pirate epic, the John McTiernan pirate epic, Cutthroat Island, oh, yes. interrupted the movie studio. And they were the next big project they were going to do was a Verhoeven directed Crusades epic starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. I remember so hearing it, about this. Yeah, it, it sickens me that that movie never got made. But I think Verhoeven works so well as a director for depicting the medieval era because, like all of his films from like his early Dutch films, like Spetters through RoboCop or Total Recall, I think like a consistent theme in his movies is the cheapness and disposability of the human body and human life in general and you know like in, in in flesh and blood the one thing i remember i mean one of the the verhoven factoids that i'll never forget from that movie is that all hanged men come their pants as their neck breaks <laughs> so that, 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 that's the type of, the type of historical biological fact that you're only going to get in a verhoven movie i i think i remember something along those lines too i, I feel like it might have been and we'll talk about him maybe later but like a tony scott movie where i learned that people yeah like relieve all their body you know like they basically shit their pants and that and that was like so shocking to me Verhoeven is like he's a guy who grew up surrounded by flesh and bodies like dead on the street the Nazis built a v2 rocket platform in his backyard when he was growing up in Hollis oh my god it's amazing and now let's uh let's talk about your uh first pick will what what are you bringing to the table here well, I mean, you, you guys asked me for uh, three movies that represent movie mindset, but the truth yeah. is that all movies represent movie of mindset. Of course. If well, you're, yeah, now you're we watching know. movies, you're engaging in movie mindset. So uh, I, I picked a, a, like a, a theme near and dear to my heart and a theme that's been very important to the history of cinema, Trains. You know, I from love the Lumiere L- yes. brothers, you know, Train Arrives in Station, the scariest film ever created, to, you know, a, a, in an era when you needed to present a visual metaphor for two adults having sex, you know, the train going right. into the tunnel was right there. And I'm going to kick off, I'm going to kick off my, be- my top three train movies with Buster Keaton's The General. A movie about a man and his love for his train. 
And you know, this movie, it's it's it, the the stunts in it hold up. If, like by any Jackie Chan or Tom Cruise movie in present day, Buster Keaton was doing this all in the silent film era. Some unforgettable sequences in this movie, but it is a movie that is so joyous to me. That it's such a beautiful movie. It's so entertaining that it makes me forget I'm rooting for the Confederacy the entire film. <laughs> we talked about that. We did an episode on the general and like the idea that. The idea that Buster Keaton is playing Confederacy because it just made him a lovable underdog back then. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think Glory was the first American movie that portrayed the Union Army as the good guys in the Civil War, yeah. which is incredible considering that they won that war. You know, we talked about this when we talked about the general. This is my big like thing that I'm always bringing back to uh, this podcast. But I feel like Buster Keaton and Jackass have a similarity. Like when you watch some of the things going on in the general, it, it, and, it and I guess Jackie Chan is probably uh, a more apt comparison too. It is wild, but it's so engaging to watch somebody put their life in limb, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, on, uh, you know, in, in uh, risk it all for a movie. Cause he is like doing things on the front of a moving train. There's no, CGI, there's nothing. It is one of the most visceral experiences watching this movie because you know not only uh, is it dangerous, but it's more dangerous than we could ever imagine because at least Jackie Chan had stunt coordinators. They had figured some things out. They maybe, you know, like here it was the beginning of yeah. let's do stunts. It's incredible. And you can see that they're kind of like learning on the fly. They're like, yeah, sure. We'll just put the put a man on the front of a cow catcher on a uh, <laughs> <laughs> on an actual yeah. train and um, have him like uh, toss um, giant like wooden girders at other ones to knock them out of the way. Anyway, uh, but yeah, I, I like the comparison with Jackass because I would love to I would love to see Buster Keaton on Jackass because like it would be the same kind of stuff, but he would have the totally stoic poker face as like a baby alligator clamped down on his nipple <laughs> or something like that. And I correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe that Johnny Knoxville has worn a Confederate flag shirt on uh, Jackass at one point, or maybe I'm just confusing it with Dukes of Hazard. But I feel like well, he was definitely... in that movie. Yeah, so there you go. So you know, look, it all it all connects. All right, so Matt, let's uh, let's go back to uh, the Thirty Years' War. What's the next uh, movie that kind of pulls everything together for you? So the next the next movie uh, does take place during the Thirty Years' War, but not in Europe. It takes place in North America, and that is uh, The Witch. Uh, and I chose that because one of the big themes of the show is uh, Protestantism and its social role in uh, accommodating and facilitating the growth of capitalism. Uh, and one of the big things uh, that Protestantism does is it uh, desocializes Christianity. It takes uh, Christianity, which in medieval Catholicism was sort of defined by a, a chain of social relationships that you were part of and uh, turned it into a totally personal thing. Uh, and the witch really is about like kind of where that ends up because the movie starts with this family who have already fled England for New England where they think they can do religion more perfectly. Uh, but even there, <laughs> among their fellow uh, Puritans, they're too pure and have to get kicked out of the village. Uh, and so then they try to do uh, try to be religious in their you know little family unit. And of course, all they do is lie to one another, uh, distrust one another, and then go insane and die. Well, and this is the thing about this movie, The Witch, where I feel like 
people were expecting it to be more of like a jump scare movie. And it's much more of like, a, it is like a family drama. It's disturbing for different reasons, I think. It's not like yeah. a, it's not a movie about like witches, you know, it's like, I feel like, or, you know, in that way where, I don't know. I feel like that was a, a big argument. It wasn't scary enough. It wasn't scary enough. But it's, I mean, look, A24 movies are, and horror are a very interesting breed. You know, it's it's not necessarily the straightforward horror that we're used to. And I, But I, I really liked it. But do you yeah. buy in some sort of theory that our American identity is shaped by the fact that we are a country made of people who couldn't fit in anywhere else? And we're like, we're out of here, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know they they could not uh, uh, facilitate like the the social reality of Europe especially after this dramatic uh market transformation uh and then they come to America where the fact that there's uh this expropriatable land that can be you know taken uh uh by force and then distributed and as opposed to Europe where like every, all, every square foot of land is spoken for by some inbred freak or another uh who who has the social power to keep it and that means that you know social conflict kind of keeps bubbling. And uh, one of the big things that prevents Europe from totally destroying itself a bunch of times is that it has this vent for people to travel uh, and and recreate a society uh, that is fundamentally antisocial. <laughs> like and and that that frontier allows for this new idea and conception of the individual to arise that is only viable when you have the possibility to just walk out of the village and uh, live by yourself in the woods until you are driven insane by your fantasy of persecution and guilt that you have no way to socially discharge anymore. Healthy foundation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Very healthy foundation. <laughs> Imagine. Bold, naturally aged Tillamook cheddar slices melting over a burger. Eating handfuls of thick-cut cheddar shreds straight from the bag. Taking a bite out of an irresistibly bold block of extra sharp cheddar cheese. <sighs> we know you want to get back to streaming, but wasn't it nice to daydream about cheese for a bit? Tillamook cheddar. Extraordinary dairy. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, I feel like, you know, to kind of alleviate some of that, that darkness, we have to go back to Will and your trains, movies and trains. And this one is a movie I've never heard of. But I'm, I should have, because first of all, well, tell me about it. And I'll tell you, I mean, it's got a great director's great cast, but it, it's one that I've just kind of just passed well, me by. If you haven't, if you haven't seen this one, I'd highly recommend jumping the queue to throw this one on. And like, you know, and as a little preview of the movie mindset podcast, like each episode will feature like a double feature about a director or an actor that I can, that we, that Hessa and I consider, you know, God level. And Got the it. one we're gonna, and you know, the first one, Buster Keaton, you know, one of the greatest filmmakers and stars of the silent era, like an auteur of action and comedy. And he, and with this movie, we get, I think, truly like a, a genius of the action movie genre, and that is John Frankenheimer, and the film is The Train.
right. It's a movie that delivers on the promise of its title. It's a movie about a train starring Burt Lancaster as a heroic uh, train conductor and part of the French resistance during the Nazi occupation of France. And the movie concerns this um, like uh, evil like SS officer who's in charge who was in charge of like the Nazi occupation of France. They're moving out of France because like the war is not going great, but not before he loots every like major like modernist painting and artistic uh, uh, heritage treasure of the French people. They load it onto a train and they're going to just like go across the border to Germany, stealing all of France's most beloved national treasures, but not before Burt Lancaster and the entire French railroad community come together to stop <laughs> them. It's a, it's a, it is a great action movie. It's, it's Burt Lancaster at the top of his game. It's Frankenheimer. Highly recommend the train this looks great and i love this idea and i also feel like this is a movie that has like a 94 percent on rotten tomatoes a four out of five on letterbox but it's a movie that kind of seems like a failure because the budget was 6.7 million and it only made 6.8 million like it really it barely <laughs> made its uh it barely made its money back uh. I'm surprised um, they let Frankenheimer make another movie after this one. But yeah, Frankenheimer like, is, you know, seems to have a hard time. Like he he really yeah. gets dealt a, a a bad hand a lot of the time. He mastered trains in this movie and would go on to master cars in Ronin. So yes, he's a, he's a, he's, a, he's a very vehicle based director. But by the know, way, you know you know that the whole reason why Ronin exists is because is of oh, owned to Doctor Moreau, right? Yes, yes. Oh, he okay. made like a deal. Like <laughs> if you come in here and save this movie, you'll get to make this movie that no one wants to make. I liked Ronan when I was when I saw it. So oh, Ronan kicked ass, yeah. yeah. And then uh, famously, he said, "I wouldn't cast Val. I wouldn't cast that motherfucker Val Kilmer in the Val Kilmer story after working with him on the Island of Doctor Moreau." <laughs> Definitely overdue for a Frankenheimer on our own show. So I feel like you've thrown a gauntlet for us, which is good. But there is an idea in the train that I really love that I'd kind of love to hear your thought of, which I feel like this whole movie wrestles with this idea of what should we value most on this planet as human beings? Should we value these valuable art artifacts? Should we value these masterpieces or should we value the human life that it takes to get them back? I mean that's a very good point, and it's a movie. It's a question that the movie deals with because you know, spoiler alert: a lot of people die <laughs> to save these these you know like uh, impressionist paintings. But in a war, right? Like, uh, like you want to stop the Nazis from killing people and killing members of the French Resistance, but then it gets just like, well, what are you fighting for if not like the the cultural heritage of the nation of France and of which you know these are these works of art are like a huge part of. So like, if these people live, but then like your the history of your culture is just stolen from you, like it, I don't know, like is that worth sacrificing your life for? Is it? What do you think? Uh, yes, but not for the Impressionists. You know, a bit a bit treacly in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Matt, let's go back to the Thirty Years' War. Uh, and now, how does your last film tie in? Because this is a different, a different type of film. So this is uh, the only, as I said, the only English-language movie about that's specifically about the Thirty Years' War I'm aware of. Uh, it's from 1971 called The Last Valley. It's based on a, no a German novel uh, and adapted by James Clavell, who was the uh, director. He was the guy who wrote all those giant books in the 70s yeah. that became miniseries like Shogun. I had no idea he directed anything. Yeah, he directed several films. And uh, this is an attempt to make a big sweeping epic about this, the Thirty Years' War. And it's about this valley, the last valley, that's like the one uh, village 
that has survived into the third decade of the Thirty Years' War without being completely despoiled. Uh, and it's about this wandering teacher, uh, played by Omar Sharif, who brokers a deal between the town inhabitants and this group of mercenaries led by Michael Caine doing a German accent uh, uh, into allowing them to stay there for the winter, uh, not take everything back to their army, and essentially uh, desert and just live in the village. Uh, and it's not very good, I have to warn anybody who wants to see it, but it is very interesting, and it's especially interesting to see the way that the times uh, that it was made in determine the uh, uh, interpretation of the material. It very much is fixated on the idea that the Thirty Years' War was caused by religious fanaticism and superstition and people not being reasonable and, and rational. Uh, and like characters like Michael Caine's mercenary guy, like he's a bad dude who kills a lot of people, but he knows that it's all bullshit, which makes him sort of a, a tragic anti-hero. Uh, and the reality is, is that the Thirty Years War, you know, was the, the, the Reformation had happened over a hundred years by that point. The thing that drove the Thirty Years War to such vites of violence is that it happened during this period of massive climactic cooling, this, this little ice age that dropped the temperature in Europe two and a half degrees and led to a huge drop in agricultural uh, productivity. And, that sharpened every conflict into the, its most violent expression. Uh, but, you know, this was made in 1971, uh, uh, and the, the general vibe of sort of anti-authoritarianism uh, pervades the entire thing. And Clavel, who was like an Ayn Rand libertarian, uh, wants to get across the idea that, yeah, it's these, it's these uh, superstitious priests and, and their sky, sky fairy that get us into this stuff. Oh, wow. I love what you're talking about because it's just like how Paul said, if you did three podcasts on Raiders of the Lost Ark, they'd all be a little different. It sounds like there's so much history colliding in the 30 years war that whoever makes a film about that, you almost learn more about them even than the war itself. Absolutely. You 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 have to like pick a lane if you want to like get anywhere and and that's going to show your hand. What would your 30 years take be? Uh what the 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 take that we're having on the on the pod and that I would want to uh, emphasize uh, if I were to do anything, you know, dramatic about it, is the material conditions that sort of bound everyone and push them in directions without their real knowledge. You know, like right. people think they're fighting for God or whatever, but they're actually just struggling to stay at the top of a uh, of a uh, keep their heads above water in, in a in a situation where uh, uh, God's hand, like in the form of, of, of natural reality and, and, and the acts of, of nature are, uh, tipping over the world as they understand it. And they only have the tools that they have used to live until that point to keep living, even though they are now, uh, insufficient, they can't do the job they used to do, but there is no way for anyone to know that the only way to learn that is through the struggle. And then for the emergence of something after that. I wonder if the art form will exist long enough for somebody to make a a movie about today's time period in a hundred years. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. So it'll be a hologram that you can uh, <laughs> watch up behind your eyelids, <laughs> or it'll be a puppet show like in an abandoned Kroger. Those are the two options. <laughs> <laughs> Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Adidas, Elf Cosmetics, and Lego. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals. During Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th, the cash back rates are even bigger. You can save on everything you need for summer like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Uh, all right, so let's go, uh, Will, for your last uh, your last pick, which is one of my favorites, an underrated classic, I think. Uh, tell us what you got. This is a gem, and I, I swear to God, when I, when I chose this to be my final train movie, I didn't know there would be such a compelling news hook on the day <laughs> we're recording it. But indeed, the movie I've chosen is Tony Scott's last film, Unstoppable. Yes. Which is, you know, a uh, heavily fictionalized account of uh, two heroic rail workers who um, prevent a uh, train crash from spilling uh, tons of extremely toxic chemicals into the atmosphere, which has just happened in Ohio. So, and you know, and it's like the the, the movie is about like, you know, uh, a, a greedy railroad company endangering thousands of lives. But unfortunately, in our reality, Chris Pine and Denzel Washington were not there to avert this disaster. Tony Scott, to me, is a director who's who does something that most people don't know how to do, which is make a great popcorn movie. It's they are yes. super fun, and we've I think we've lost that. Like they, I always felt like his movies came in at like ninety minutes. They were great. What they normally had Denzel Washington, uh, you know, and they just was like he just knew how to master this genre of like a great fun action movie. And I would, and I'm. Bum that we never got to see Gerard Butler and Tony Scott team up because I think that would have been a oh, oh great, man you know oh, a great God. mix. Uh, what could have been? But yeah, I mean, what I love about this movie it's it's Tony Scott's last movie. It's like a great like as you said, Paul. It's like a you know just like a rip roaring like fun like popcorn movie about like two you know like blue collar working class heroes and it's got an an unstoppable out of control train and it's got so much just excellent train action. But what I love about it in addition is just the summation of Tony Scott's whole career and like a real textbook example of like seeing his style evolve. Like, cause you know, if right. you go back to Top Gun, which is like, you know, one of the best like popcorn, like just a dreamy, like California, just like everything glows in that movie. And it's just, but, but like his camera work was a lot more uh, formal. It was a lot more like classically yes. composed. And then like, as his career goes on, as you see in man on fire and deja vu and like his later or domino, like his later movies. And then finally in unstoppable, he is just the king of throwing everything at the screen. Like just, pulling out all the brakes. I mean, you want to talk about Unstoppable, but just like lens filters, uh, helicopter shots, like insane editing. Like just, he just like, the, his camera is always moving and always showing you something from like any conceivable angle. Like there's just, there's nothing, there's nothing like out of pocket for him. Like he, he will just, he will put a camera anywhere to get you to show movement and action. I also think he's probably the best director that adapted like a Quentin Tarantino story. Cause I do feel like yeah, look, Quentin yeah. Tarantino would have done true romance differently. That's his script. But I also feel like he got the vibe of Quentin Tarantino and 
like it's a really nice i like that partnership there and you know and like when you listen to quentin tarantino talk about true romance it's like oh i would have done this different but like but there is that movie especially has so many different stylistic qualities he's a really interesting director who i think gets overlooked in the sense that oh well yeah these are just these kind of movies but they are the ones i don't know man on fire unstoppable top gun true romance days of thunder crimson tide like these are all they kind of have this interesting like connection in our culture they're not the they're not academy award movies but they are like these really fun movies that i think everyone's seen at least on tbs okay i want to ask everybody a question actually i want to ask everybody two questions first question tony scott or ridley scott tony, tony. scott tony no Ooh, question triple tony yeah. oh, I'm oh my down gosh for that. When it comes down to like Ridley, it's like he, Ridley's got like, in my opinion, like three masterpieces that like have buttressed his entire career. But if you look at like the like the IMDb, if you just look at their whole body of work, like Tony has an unquestionably higher batting average, and I think is a better director than his brother. I I agree. I think like a movie like Last Boy Scout, Beverly Hills Cop two, oh, those yes, things made yes, such a giant yes. oh, impact God. on myself, you know, on me. And it's like, and I will even say, and maybe I'm crazy for saying this, but. I remember even watching the A team and going like, "There's something fun here." Like he, like I would have liked to have seen that figured out in a bigger way. But I, I, even that I was like, "That was kind of fun." It was just a fun movie. Okay, second question. Favorite Chris, because here we've got Chris Pine. But are you guys Pine guys, Pratt guys, Evans guys, or Hemsworth guys? Hmm. They've all sort of flattened into one. Um, like sort of flesh blob to me. But I would say based on Unstoppable and Hell or High Water, I'd have to go to with Chris Pine because I'm not sure if Evans, Pratt, or uh, Hemsworth. Chris Wade, I don't know, Hemsworth has made a movie, <laughs> yeah. has, made a, has made any movies at like as good as Hell or High Water or Unstoppable. So I think Pine has the edge for me. I think that's true. I think that's absolutely correct. He's got the best filmography. But in terms of just uh, as a as an actor and the, their general vibe, I I like Chris Evans. I, I I guess that makes me a a a normie. But I I don't know. He's I I I, I actually really like what he, he did with Captain America because that is like he's like Superman. He's a very boring character, but he's probably has the most uh, enjoyable performance of anyone from that run of marvel movies you know that's not saying much but and and when i see him i'm like there he is look at that guy he's so handsome i i have a similar point of view which is i think chris pine is awesome his like his movie choices are great i saw him do a stage show and he was phenomenal but i also think to have that middle ground and i think this is like everyone's always chasing after like and maybe I'm overusing this, but like the Harrison Ford energy, like who's this guy who's like a guy's guy, but also fun. And you, and I feel like Evans has uh, that, like that interesting middle ground sometimes, where he's like, I feel like he can be a little bit looser and also work in that, that uh, action hero thing. Like where Chris Prine, you know, I don't know. I, ah, meh. I'm kind of, nah, as I'm talking myself out of it now, I'm like, okay, I feel like Chris Pine is like that. I don't know. Chris Pine and Chris Evans, I feel like are, I'll just, uh, I'm going to grab, I'm going to grab Chris Pine. I'm going to grab Chris Pine. I'm going to say that maybe there's more out there we can see because I like him as in Star Trek as well. I think I'm also going Pine specifically because that man can sing. He can also sing. And I don't know if Chris Evans can sing, but when you can do all of these things together the way both of them can, action and comedy and romantic movies, suffering through superheroes and being in outer space and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then you can also sing. 
You got to go climb. Only one of them was in Into the Woods. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, this has been really fascinating. Uh, Hell on Earth, you can listen to it right now. Uh, Movie Mindset is coming out in May. So in just a couple months, uh, how many episodes have you recorded already for Movie Mindset or have you not? Uh, we have not recorded any episodes yet. This is very in the, the embryonic phase of movie mindset, but it, it will soon to be to be a, a birth like the like the Antichrist from the womb of a jackal into the podcast uh, realm. Will, can we follow you on Letterboxd? Or do you, do you subscribe yes. to that kind of a thing? Okay, I am great. On letter- yes, oh, I absolutely, I'm, I'm, it's my favorite social media app. I love it. It's my favorite uh, I, I'm, I'd say just look Will Meneker. I'm uh, at, uh, at CodyDad420 on Letterboxd. Okay. And uh, and so now, hell on earth! You've now tackled so much here, Matt. You you've read a lot of books. You mm-hmm. are trying to do a a comprehensive miniseries. Are you daunted by this, or do you want to go off and do another one now that you've uh, you've got this miniseries under your belt? Well, uh, I know that uh, my partner in the project, Chris Wade, he wants yes. a long break because he has to do a lot more than I do to write. Because like we both read and we both write the scripts, but he also has to do all this editing and and because he's you know he has technical yeah. abilities that I don't, so he needs some time to recover. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I've already started thinking about what I'd like to do for the next one because yeah, it was really fun and I think it's pretty good. So yeah, I'd like to do another one. And you are about right now, we're about midway through Hell on Earth's season when this is coming yep. out. Uh, and so perfect time for you guys to catch up and uh, check out what you all are doing. Uh, and I'll tell you this much, you know, I know a lot of people love that hardcore history. It's great. But this is so much uh, more fun to listen to. And it's and it's a lot shorter. And uh, <laughs> that is true. You know, and uh, I say, like, sometimes I want my history, but I don't need I, I can't I don't know if I can commit four hours per episode. So this is coming in in a nice, uh, a nice manageable time to listen to. Uh, and then all and then let's just talk about, you know, the the Chapo Trap House world i mean these are just these are just uh this is just you know offshoots of the main of the main thing uh what do you want people to know about uh about where you guys come from i mean the the the, the mothership if you will well the ss chapo is uh yeah. is still going through still going strong you know uh, uh cutting across the 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 ocean of the media landscape but yeah no uh the chapo the main show I mean, what I like about it is like, you know, movie mindset and hell on earth are uh, obvious outgrowths of it because, you know, history, movies, politics, like these are the things that we do about the show. And what I like about Chapo is like any episode of the show can basically be whatever we want it to be. But I like now with these miniseries, we're like, we're, we're refining these like, uh, these heavy currents that have always existed in the show. And we're like channeling them into something that's like more focused. And like, I think, I think uh, hopefully powerful. I, I really loved what you did. I listened to the Bomani Jones episode. I love him on uh, his show where, you know, like, but you, you brought this, I don't know. I thought it was really interesting how you could talk about like, players and and what's going on there and like the labor unions of that world it was a very interesting conversation that i feel like people don't even really have those conversations and i've been thinking a lot about this in the in the whole trade deadline at the nba like these people are human beings and obviously that's known but the way that they're spoken about the way that they're kind of treated is as if they are these material objects you know and it's and there's been a lot of talk about health and they're oversitting players because these big owners who spent multi-million dollars like they don't want them to play they want them to, there's a lot of stuff going on in that industry and i thought it was really interesting conversation to have oh thank you 
I had a great time talking to Bomani, and yeah, like a great time to have him on right before the uh, the Super Bowl and yeah. the NBA trade deadline. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to ask him about Kevin Durant to the Suns. Oh my gosh! I found out about that before anyone else. Uh, I had, uh, and I was sitting. I. I, I'm not a reporter. I can't leak it. I just knew it. And I was like, oh, this is so great. Just to have like that information and uh, and not be able to talk to anybody about it was uh, a great What do you got? Three You're hours. friends with Chris Paul or something? You're getting texts? You know what? From, it was uh, such yeah. it, I because I, I, I'm a huge Clippers fan. And some people will be like, oh, what have you heard? And I have, have a, a couple conversations. And then just I got a, a text from a friend uh, who was a little bit more connected and just was that was it. It was like Durant to Sons. I was like, what? I thought you were going to say you were an exotic dancer the way that we all found out that James Harden was going to Philadelphia last year. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite NBA moments that's ever happened. And by the way, Paul, we Paul and I were texting all day about the NBA trade, trade deadline and I only found about Kennard after the fact and I want to say I will miss yelling Kennard at the screen when the Lakers play the Clippers. Oh my gosh. Well, you get to see him when he plays the Grizzlies and he'll be great. Uh, guys, Chat with Trap House, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can go to uh, your main website, chapotraphouse.com. You guys can get merch, live shows, all that sort of stuff. What a pleasure. Can't wait for Movie Mindset. Can't wait to finish Hell on Earth. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Will, for, for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Our pleasure. Paul, Amy, thanks for having us on. A big thank you to our producer, Josh Richmond, our associate producer, Jessica Cisneros, our engineer, Casey Holford, our EPs, Cody Fisher and Colin Anderson, our MVP, Molly Reynolds, our theme song by Michael Cassidy, our fan art by Kim Troxall. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and follow us on Apple and also on Amazon. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and you can talk about all these movies on the Paul Shear Discord. Just go to discord.gg slash Paul Shear. Unspooled t-shirts are available at tpublic.com slash unspooled, but you can also get your very own deck of unspooled playing cards, which are absolutely gorgeous, all designed by Kim Troxell at podswag.com. Just find the unspooled show and you'll see it right there. You can hear past episodes of the show and bonuses like screen test on Stitcher Premium and for the official API, that's the Paul and Amy Institute list of our favorite films that we've ever done from the show. You can head on over to unspooledpod.com. This episode of Plant Killers will explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New Miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to Miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.